Russia is planning a massive offensive as the one year mark approaches with the war in Ukraine in nine days. Human Events Daily is here to break it down, as well as the latest from Cy Hirsch and the Biden bombing of Nord Stream 2. Folks, if you want to catch all the stuff that we use for show prep, the stuff that I read, the stuff that we send back and forth, even the stories that we don't necessarily get to on the show, you must sign up for the POSO Daily Brief. Just go to humanevents.com slash POSO, humanevents.com slash POSO. We'll be able to send, sign you up for that. It is completely free. You will love it as much as I do. Let's get into it. What happens is, it was there was an exercise in June, and it was supposed to. Um, the the bombs were put in there under the cover of a of a, a, a NATO exercise. There were a lot of different countries running around um, with divers um, and uh, blowing up things. It was an exercise to go find and chase mines. There never had one been one before. It actually was whoever in the CIA or in the other agencies that thought this up should get a bow because it was pretty ingenious. So in that exercise, the divers went down, did what they were trained to do. They're very good. C4, a couple hundred, whatever the weight is, um, bombs enough to blow up most cities, most buildings in, 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 uh, in Washington and made some in New York anyway. Um, they did their job, but the president at the last minute uh, hesitated because he was afraid um, blowing it up right after the exercise would put the finger at us. And then he wanted permission to do it any time. And that caused an enormous trouble in the team. The team was, you know, people are sophisticated in the intelligence services. I know we, we have cliches about them. We see the movies about them. Uh, and the bottom line is um, they were, this made sense of them uh, blowing up a pipeline, <laughs> blowing up a pipeline. Owned by, it's actually owned by uh, a division of say, Gazprom runs 51%. That's all the Russian oligarchs. And 49% of the Nord Stream 1 are, are owned by four business uh, groups in the Western Europe who, who farm out the oil. Anyway, uh, they saw the threat as being valid. Um, and if he wanted to do it during an exercise, well, okay. But in September, late September, they got the word, you know, they, they fixed it so he could. But then they thought it was, I don't know what they thought, but I don't think they thought in late September he would blow up the main pipeline, Nord Stream 2, which is a new one. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard today's edition of Human Events Daily, powered by Turning Point USA. Today is February 15th, 2023, Anno Domini. Where is President Biden? So ever since Seymour Hersh dropped this giant bomb on the Biden administration, bigger than the bombs that blew up the Nord Stream pipelines, Biden seems to have been forced back into his basement. Basement Biden is back, folks, and this guy has not responded. He's trying very hard to simply act like none of this is happening. He's acting like Hirsch, who, by the way, you just heard in Seymour Hirsch's the first interview that he's done since the, this, this bombshell dropped just a couple of days ago. He's explaining exactly what we told you here on Human Events Daily. We got it right. That... He is coming out now. And the reason that Biden decided to blow up Nord Stream 1 and 2 was to exert U.S. dominance over Germany. It's part of the great game. Once again, you have to go back to Lord Isley, the founding of NATO. What is the point of NATO? To keep the Americans in, the Russians out, and the Germans down. This is the point of NATO. That's what Lord Isley, the initial NATO commander, told us. Okay, that's what he told us. 
So here's what Hirsch is saying. He's saying it's quite simple. We thought that the Germans were getting wobbly, or you know, the Americans thought that, the American government thought that. They thought the Germans were trying to find ways to turn Nord Stream back on. They wanted it to get back on. They weren't going along with some of the sanctions. They were trying to pull out. They may not have committed to tanks and everything else. They were saying, look, we want to keep a door open because we want this cheap gas. Okay, we want that. Because of that, they were not as fully committed to the war in Ukraine as the United States wanted. Well, guess what? All of a sudden, the decision was taken out of their hands because the pipelines were blown up. Now the LNG is flowing to Germany from Norway and from the United States. It is not coming from Russia. And what is heading between Germany and Russia? Oh, that's right, tanks. The Leopard 2 tanks are now rolling. They're now on their way through. So you got to understand the background of all this, folks, for it to make sense. And we see the people who benefit from this. And I told you from the very start, qui bono, qui malo. Who benefits, who suffers? Follow the money. Cherchez le petrol, follow the petrol. But here's the other part that I think a lot of people are missing. We are now just nine days away from the one-year anniversary of the war in Ukraine. Now, there are people who argue, of course, that it started all the way back in 2014, so we're actually at the nine-year anniversary, but we're talking about the current, the current situation, the current campaign, one-year anniversary. And you look what's going on over there. Russia is preparing thousands of troops. This partial mobilization that they've done, those troops are now coming online. Fighter aircraft, bombers are getting ready. They're sending ships out of their northern sea fleet with tactical nuclear weapons for the first time in 30 years. Now, the United States does this, but this is the first time we've seen Russia do this in 30 years. All of which means to say they are getting ready. They're getting ready to turn up the heat. And Biden, believe it or not, President Biden, he's been de-emphasizing Ukraine. You notice this? He barely talked about it in the State of the Union. Yeah, he mentioned it, but it certainly wasn't a pitch. I mean, that was a MAGA State of the Union address. It was all, it was economic populism, economic nationalism, the entire thing. And then he mentions it almost as an aside, as a, as an add-on. And yes, Biden will be going to Poland. Because, of course, Biden's handlers are telling him, look, you have to go, you have to show resolve, you have to give the speech. Right. So he's going to get in. He's going to walk off the plane. He'll give the speech. He might do one of those surprise visits to the U.S. troops out there. And then he's going to go back home. It's a dog and pony show. Don't fall for the theater. Don't get caught up. Because here on this program, we're not focused so much on what's on stage. We're telling you about the man behind the curtain, all the men behind the curtain, because we know that President Biden is not the one making these decisions. We saw this from Seymour Hersh's article. A lot of these decisions were made for him by his staff. And they know, by the way, that the popularity of this war, the longer it continues, is getting less and less every day. The United States is asking, why are we not doing anything to stop the killing, to help the families that are caught up in this? They're seeing the images, these horrific images of the warfare and the fighting out of Bakhmut, 
Solidar, some of these places out in the east in the Donbass. And they're saying, this is horrific. How do we stop it? How do we make it go away? We don't want to see this anymore. And Biden turns around and says, well, we just need more warfare. Guess what? We've heard that before. And that was called Afghanistan. For 20 years, the United States invades Afghanistan, tries to set up a government, completely fails, and then continues fighting and fighting and fighting for 20 years, destroys the country, and then leaves. And Taliban take right back over. It's no coincidence that Ukraine gets turned on just after the pullout of Afghanistan. They want to turn it into Ukrainistan as the military industrial complex rolls on. When Christopher Columbus first came in contact with Native Americans, it was the Arawak people in the Bahamas. I'll read to you from Columbus's journal. They willingly traded us everything they owned. They do not bear arms and do not know them, for I showed them a sword. They took it by the edge and cut themselves out of ignorance. They will make fine slaves. With 50 men, we could subjugate them all and make them do whatever we want. You ever feel like that, Trent? You ever feel like making someone do what you want, whether they want to or not? It's a very European mentality stemming from the oppressive political and religious structures of the Renaissance. Kings and priests with absolute power ruling masses who have none. That was the mentality of the men who discovered America. And it's the mentality our society struggles with today. What you know of history is a dominant culture's justification for its actions. So if you've been following me on Twitter or anywhere else or just been anywhere on the Internet this week, you've seen that Yellowstone memes have taken off. And uh, myself and Mystery Grove and a few other accounts are definitely behind this. And the question is, why? Why are we talking about Yellowstone memes? Now, I should also point out, by the way, that the translation that she's using of Christopher Columbus's diary, by the way, is, of course, the infamous Las Casas translation rather than the original copy. So what you're reading there is a copy of a supposed diary from Christopher, a supposed translation of Christopher Columbus's diary, which was done by someone, oh, by the way, who hates Christopher Columbus. So just pointing out, this is someone that absolutely hated him and wrote their version of Christopher Columbus's diary, which, of course, I'm not going to mention. But the bigger question is, what is up with all the Yellowstone memes? Why am I posting them? Why are we doing this? Are we talking about Yellowstone or are we talking about something bigger? Well, if you remember a couple episodes ago, I introduced you to the concept of the Hick Lib. And I pointed out how the Hick Lib stereotype is something that we've seen big tech and Google from none other than the CEO of Google himself, Sundar Pinchai, admit that the Hicklib meme or Hicklib content was something that they had pushed people towards when they were searching for other things on the internet. What's a Hicklib? Okay, as a refresher, a Hicklib is someone who dresses like uh, a Westerner, dresses like a cowboy, for example, adopts conservative, quote unquote, aesthetics, and then 
proceeds to spew left-wing, leftist, woke garbage and woke talking points all throughout their content. You see this all over YouTube. And of course, Google has come out and admitted under oath in testimony that yes, they do do this on purpose. It is a psyop. That, that episode of Yellowstone, by the way, which just like so many other shows these days, is just inserting wokeness in again and again. I'd like to point out, by the way, that that actress that you're seeing on screen right there, who's standing up for Native Americans, who plays a Native American character, um, in, in a typical example of Hollywood hypocrisy, she's claiming all of these things, yet she herself is not a Native American. She is, in fact, Chinese. And yet went around claiming that because she had partial Chinese ancestry, that she was, in fact, a Cherokee. And she did this for years. And Taylor Sheridan has had her in other work before. This is the guy who wrote Yellowstone in 1883 and 1923 and so many other these shows. Wrote Sicario, by the way, a fantastic movie. And uh, she used to claim that she was Cherokee until the Cherokee tribe came out and said, no, actually, we have no evidence of that whatsoever. Please stop your Chinese. And so... What is going on here? Why are these shows targeted to seemingly, I pick one show other than Yellowstone that's more targeted towards conservatives. Why are they slipping in these woke messages? Why is it that Kevin Costner's character has an Antifa girlfriend on Yellowstone? Is this random? Is this by chance? No, not at all. This is an example of something. Uh, there, there's two things going on here. There's two things. Number one is the woke toll. And you have to understand the concept of the woke toll if you are watching any content that's out there today. Um, so if you choose to watch this type of content, then you have to understand that everything, doesn't matter if it's Tulsa King with Sylvester Stallone, doesn't matter if it's your favorite show on Netflix, your favorite show on Paramount, whatever the networks are, they all are required to insert wokeness, even if it's one scene, they are required to pay the woke toll. And in fact, it's not even them paying it. It's you. You're the ones paying it because you're giving them your time. You're giving them your money. And instead, they're paying the woke toll. They're forcing wokeness on you. And so what this is, this is a strategy of something that uh, uh, to use as a meme, you might compare it to something called the peanut butter dog pill strategy. What's the peanut butter dog pill strategy? Well, you have a dog. You might know that your dog doesn't like taking pills, taking vitamins, taking medicine, et cetera. So what do you do? You take that pill and you wrap it up in some peanut butter. And then you hand it to your dog. And your dog will eat the whole thing. Because the dog loves peanut butter, but doesn't realize that you slip something inside. That's exactly what Hollywood has started doing now. Because they know that if they put a show up with like liberal aesthetics, uh, 30 Rock is a great example. You know, conservatives are not watching 30 Rock. Some may have, but the show's clearly got liberal aesthetics. No, nobody's taken their, their cues from that. But if you put up a show with guns, horses, cowboys, ranchers, but then you start slipping in woke talking points, Antifa girlfriends, uh, a whole bunch of historical revisionism about Christopher Columbus and Native Americans and that show 1923 is so anti-Christian. Then they'll hit their target audience of the people they are trying to persuade. You are, they are pacing and leading you and you're the dog eating the peanut butter.
Folks, the dollar just hit a seven-month low, and we all saw what happened with the crypto market last year. Why would you trust your hard-earned savings with unstable governments printing more money while on the brink of default? Take my advice. Protect your financial future with something real, gold and silver, from my friends at Allegiance Gold. Allegiance Gold can help you protect your IRA or 401k with physical gold and silver, or if you prefer, have it delivered securely right to your front door. Since the beginning of time, there's only one universal currency that is always of value, and that's gold. Allegiance Gold is the highest rating in the industry, five stars with TrustLink and a AAA rating with the Business Consumer Alliance and an A-plus with the Better Business Bureau. You can invest with confidence because of the quality and service of Allegiance Gold. Get up to $5,000 in free silver on a qualifying purchase when you visit protectposo.com or give them a call. We may not be able to control the policies of the Biden administration, but we can prepare for the consequences. Protect your future with Allegiance Gold. Remember, protectwithposo.com, protectwithposo.com. Rust, starring and produced by Alec Baldwin, will resume filming this spring with a mix of new and old crew members. According to Rust Movie Productions, Bianca Klein of Marcel the Shell with Shoes On and American Horror Story will join the film as its cinematographer in place of Helena Hutchins. A documentary on her life, including her work on Rust, spearheaded by director Rachel Mason and producer Julie Metz, will also commence shooting with the, quote, full support of the production and Helena's husband, Matthew Hutchins, who will serve as an executive producer on both titles. Rust Movie Productions said in a statement, both Mason and Metz were close friends with Helena, and they look forward to working with the production to honor their friend and show the brilliance and depth of Helena's talent, while conveying what her loss has meant to her friends, colleagues, and the entire film industry. Additionally, a lawyer for Rust Movie Productions says the scene in which Helena Hutchins was shot has been rewritten. The plans from the production to finish the film come amid the prosecution of Baldwin for manslaughter, multiple lawsuits from former members of the crew against the movie's producers, and an investigation into alleged systemic safety issues on set. So they're going forward with Rust. This movie is going to be released. And you know what? Let me tell you something. People are going to watch it. Alec Baldwin's going to be in this. Everybody's going to know that a woman was shot to death by Alec Baldwin during the filming. And I'll tell you something else. This is so cynical, it's so nihilistic, but they're right. Because that's our culture today, isn't it? We used to live in a culture that had shame. We used to live in a culture that would never allow something like this to go forward. We would all stand against it. But you know what these guys are doing? They're looking at each other and saying, you know what? The whole world's talking about this movie. We've already got the best marketing plan in the world. It's already out there for us. And everyone's going to know that when that movie comes out, that they will say the controversial film Rust has come out and everybody's going to market it for them for free because of the death of Helena Hudgens and the fact that Alec Baldwin will literally be on trial at the same time will generate interest in the film and there will be people that go to see it because of this. Or click on it if it's on one of the streaming services. I couldn't think of a better example of everything that's wrong with our society than this. The fact that everybody's going along with this, that they're perfectly fine making money, profiting, profiting from the death of Alec Baldwin, staffer of the film, death of one of their colleagues, friends, they say. I don't know. 
doesn't sit right with me. You're not supposed to receive a monetary benefit. We should actually look that up because I believe there is a law that says you're not allowed to receive monetary benefit from your crimes. So if Alec Baldwin is convicted, how does that work? Is he even able to receive revenue from the film? Because he's clearly used this shooting death. It's, it's obvious what they're doing. In a sense, we're playing into it right now, even though I am being critical. But they knew that this would generate controversy. And it's probably the most cynical example of troll marketing that I've heard anywhere. The troll marketing is when a company does something uh, to cause a controversy in order to generate interest. So IHOP did this when they changed their corporate logo from IHOP to IHOB with a B, B for Bravo, um, and said they were going to sell burgers that only lasted like a week. But again, everyone was talking about it. Uh, M&Ms did this very recently as well, where they faked the cancellation of the M&M characters in order to create this controversy and say, they, oh, they've been canceled due to uh, gender stereotypes or something or other. They're like blaming Tucker Carlson, I guess. And then during the Super Bowl, they had a commercial that showed uh, that the Eminem characters were actually hiding as if it was some sort of um, kidnapping situation and they were being held hostage by the Wokies. And so, again, it was just an example of troll marketing. Get you talking about Eminem's. And here we have troll marketing using the death, the shooting death of a human being. As a way to sell movie tickets. Got to say, folks, not a fan. Not a fan at all. What kind of culture allows this? And of course, they're all sitting there saying, you know what? Hey, we're going to make money. Uh, that money can be turned over into, uh, you know, lots of good things. Right? And so it's the age-old question of do the ends justify the means? Alec Baldwin's already settled the lawsuit with the family. They were saying that they would tie the settlement, tie the payout that Baldwin would give to the family on the success of the movie. So you'll say, I believe she had a, a nine-year-old boy, probably 10 now. So, oh, this will be a college fund for him. And this will be, uh, this will help his success. And this will help his father as a producer, is now the executive producer of the film, right? Should we all just go along with this? Is there a moral line in the sand that we should draw? to allow the shooting death of someone to become, as I just said, a profit driver, a revenue driver? Or should we, as a society, say that when people commit crimes like this, when people commit reckless manslaughter, and I'm going to call it reckless manslaughter because I think that's what it is, and Alec Baldwin should have to pay for that. Absolutely. And anyone who is responsible as well, not just this, um, uh, not, well, I guess the, the assistant director pled out already. And then the, the armorer is also charged. She has not pled out. So the assistant director, you know, is going to testify against Baldwin and against her. And that means he's going to have to pay the price. But it still feels to me like there's a deal in the works here. There's something going on behind the scenes that we don't know. They're moving it, by the way, from New Mexico, of course, over to California, uh, where, of course, lots of Westerns are filmed there. But the fact that Alec Baldwin is still going to be in this, is he going to get work after this? Convicted of killing someone. 
you know, they'll talk about, oh, but President Trump said this and President Trump said that about women. Yeah, Alec Baldwin actually killed his staffer, his female staffer. Let's talk about the war on women. Let's talk about women's rights. You know, the left is always standing up for, oh, women's rights, women's rights, women's rights, women in the workplace. Yeah. How does Alec Baldwin feel about women in the workplace? What's his record on women in the workplace? Let's take a look. I say we compare. Let's go side by side. Ladies and gentlemen, as always, you have my permission to lay ashore.